Uh, we're in a series called Human Becomings. And if you got your notes, you can go ahead and open the, your bullets and you open it up. And notes are inside there. But I just want to start off with this affirmation uh, this morning with you. You are more than just a human being. You are a human becoming. You are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. That's how Dallas Willard says it. I love it. You are growing. You are changing. You are evolving. The person you were five years ago isn't the person you are today. And your dream is that you will become something that is far better than where you are now. A.W. Tozer, I love this. This is where our title came from, said this. We, are, we humans are not only in a state of being and that we exist. We are in a state of becoming. We are on a slow spiral moving gradually up or down. And as a result, I believe one of the great questions before us, every single one of us, is this question, who are you becoming? I believe it supersedes even what you are doing, where you are going, but wrestling deeply with who you are becoming. Said another way is how do you truly experience transformation? How do you experience change for the better that lasts? How do you become who you long to be, and ultimately who God made you to be. That's what we've been wrestling with in this series. This morning, I want to talk about where we get stuck in the becoming process, why it is so challenging, why it seems like all of a sudden we don't become who we long to be. Um, When I was in eighth grade, uh, I was a scrappy zit-faced, like, I had the worst armpit sweat. I mean, it was crazy. I don't know what happened. Um, There's a little bit, but not much anymore, thank God. Uh, But what I also had was I was the laziest, unmotivated, eighth-grade boy on the face of the planet. I mean, I would come home and I had a little bit of charisma, a little bit of charm. And so I'd work my way with the teachers, I'd work my way at home and I'd figure out how to do the least amount of work or at least cover up and hide and lie. And so I'd come home, I'd lie about how much homework, I wouldn't do any homework. I'd play guitar or play drums or something like that or whatever. And then I'd show up to school and I'd make all sorts of excuses about why um, I didn't get this in. I mean, lied straight through my teeth every single time. And then it finally came to a head, you know, that my parents see the fruit of my decisions, the fruit of my direction as I get, you know, poor grades and, you know, realize that I'm lying to them, lying to teachers. And so my dad's trying to figure out how do I motivate this young boy who has no motivation? 
Like, how do I inspire him? And that's part of it for us as parents, right? Because we can see with crystal clear clarity for our kids that where they're at is not always where they should be. And we see where they could be. And we want to help guide and direct them in their becoming process, right? Uh, And we don't ever leave that process, however. We don't grow out of that process. And so my dad was trying to figure out, okay, how do I inspire my son? And so he decides to take me to a Gold's gym. We go on a little field trip. He picks me up after school, and he takes me into this Gold's gym. I look inside, and I mean, all these guys, I don't know if you've ever been to a Gold's gym. They're like meatheads. They're like lifting, like roided up, I think. I don't know. Uh, but their arms are as big as my whole body, you know? And so I walk in as this eighth, you know, scrawny eighth grader. I'm going like, Oh my goodness, you know, and and we go in and we get to a bench press. And I think this is really cool because, you know, I want to throw weights like the big boys and I was into athletics. And, and so he's taking me there and he puts me on the bench and puts, you know, uh, 15 pounds on each side, just warming up. And I'm doing this, feeling good about myself. I got a little hard. Okay. Puts it up. And then he goes over, takes the 15 pounds off and then he puts a 45 on each side. Now, for some of you, that's not a big deal. That probably for me, it still is a big deal. Uh, but he, he puts it on and then he lifts it off the bar as I'm under there. And all of a sudden my arms start to shake immediately <laughs> and he lets go. And the bar just goes, boom, straight to my chest. I mean, if we did this today, it may not even be legal to do this anymore with your kids. I don't know. Uh, and it goes straight to my chest. And then my dad says this push it up. And so I am like, oh, oh, and my dad's like, try harder. My face is red, everything. I'm sweating. I'm trying as hard as I can. I'm pushing. My my dad's going, leaning over me. Come on, son, try harder. Come on, try a little harder. Come on. I don't know how long it lasted, but it felt like it lasted a really long time. And then eventually he lifted the weight up and we sat on the edge of that bench, and he, he looked at me and said, son, what, what's wrong? Well, how come you couldn't lift the weight? Dad is too heavy, said. He said, well, didn't you try? Dad, you know what? You were there. You saw it. I tried. I'm a little frustrated at this point, you know. I tried as hard as I could, and yet I still couldn't lift the weight. And he says this. He says, now think about this, son. If we come to the gym, you know, let's say three times a week and we just begin to work out and begin to lift and you think in about three months you could lift that weight? Absolutely. Yeah, dad, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. And then he, you know, he's a teacher, he's a preacher. And so he couldn't help but make the, the, the full point there. He said, son, that's what you're trying to do in life. You're trying hard to not lie. You're trying hard to do better. You're trying hard to become this and you're failing over and over. The issue isn't trying hard. The issue is training. See, where many of us get stuck in life in who we are becoming is we get caught in a pattern of trying hard, maybe doing good, but ultimately failing. And the issue, the core issue for us is to step into training to become who God made us to be. 
In fact, the Apostle Paul said it this way in Romans 12, 2. If you've got your Bibles, you can check it out. Uh, but he unpacks basically this whole series in one verse in Romans 12, 2. He says, do not be conformed. Literally, it's a stopping of something. But that word conformed uh, literally means to be molded, to be shaped. It's the idea of like, you know, you pour... Uh, jello into jello mold, and it looks at that shape. It looks just like that. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. That there is a pattern, there is a way of behaving, there is a way that is leading us to who we all, away from who we ultimately long to be. And we all get this. Aren't there patterns in your life that are keeping you from who you ultimately want to be? Isn't there a way of thinking that perhaps is keeping you from ultimately who you want to be? Is there a way of acting or behaving that is actually keeping you from who you long to become? Maybe there's some words, there's a way that you react, some emotions that take place that keep you from who you long to be. And here's what the Apostle Paul says. There's a stopping in the training process. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern repeated habit of this world, but now let's start. Stop, start. As Steve talked about it last week, put off, put on, but be transformed. In your notes, if you wouldn't mind, just circle that word transformed for me. It's the word metamorpho in the Greek. It's where we get our English word, what? Metamorphosis, that's right. It's where we get, and th- these guys fell over. I hope they do all right. Um, this is um, a butterfly kit. Woo-hoo! I don't know how to keep this up here. Poor guys. But this is a butterfly kit. Everybody did that perhaps in kindergarten. All of my kids did this whole project in kindergarten. It's that word transform, metamorphosis, to be made brand new and in kind. It's the idea of a caterpillar, right, that starts out as larva that then enters into where they're at right now, the chrysalis stage, but eventually emerges not as a caterpillar anymore, but as a brand new butterfly. And here's what the Apostle Paul saying. He's saying, stop being conformed. Stop allowing the pattern of a world, pattern of things, Thinking, believing, behaving, that is drawing you away from who you ultimately want to be. It fell. Oh boy. Um, they may or may not. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> but be transformed. You circled that word. It's literally in the passive. It's a passive imperative. So it's a command of God. But this is, if you want to kind of jot right over there, allow yourself to be transformed. That's, that's what it literally, allow yourself. See, God does the transforming, the work that changes us to who to being made new. We have to participate and join in the process and go into training. Allow yourself to be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. We said at week one, the most important decision you make each and every single day is what you allow into your mind, the thoughts you embrace. See, the thoughts you embrace today will determine who you become tomorrow. He says this, 
by the renewing of your mind, when you begin to renew and rethink uh, and change the way you think, you'll begin to live out a brand new life. And here's the pattern. By the way, this is so powerful, and we're going to see it because I'm going to give you kind of three practical areas in our Ephesians passage. Uh, but here's the pattern that Paul gives us and uh, of like this transformation process. He gives us, you know, the put off or stop. And then he gives us the put on or start. You got to stop something. You got to start something. And then he gives us the why. He gives us the motive. This is so powerful. He says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Then your life will be literally to demonstrate God's will. Then you'll be able to really know and experience what God's will is. What is it? His good, pleasing, perfect will. Here's what I find so powerful is in the transformation or in the training process, we move from trying and we go, okay, there is a pattern of living where I got to change the way I think. There's a stopping and there's a starting. It's the what really, right? This is what we have to do. So oftentimes with our kids, when we try to help them, we tell them what they need to do or what they need to not do. What Paul does is not just even stop with the what, he goes to the why. See, when a what is disconnected to a why, it is so easy to abandon that what. When the what is alienated from the why behind it, when you lose sight of the motive, the reason, the purpose behind it, it is so easy when it gets hard, it's so easy when it gets convenient, it's so easy to go to abandon the what when we don't connect it deeply to the why. And you'll see this process over and over. Paul is so specific in connecting it back to the why. See, transformation requires engaging in the practice of putting off the old way of being and putting on the new way of becoming. Putting off putting on. It's an ongoing training. It's not trying hard. It's not more effort. It's going, I'm going to go into training. It's process. Transformation requires a process. You can't cram transformation. And so many of us want to cram it and somehow get it in a pill and instantaneously zap me, boom, hello. And it's not that way. If you're going to run a marathon, hello, you wouldn't go and try and run a marathon. You would train for a marathon and then you would run the marathon. If you want to play the drums or guitar, you wouldn't just go and try to play the guitar. If you did, it would sound terrible. Right? Okay. Some of you are like, no, it wouldn't. I would be amazing. It'd be fantastic. No, you would sound terrible. All the rest of us would tell you, you sound terrible. You'd go into training. Let me give you three big areas to go into training. That, that you would, uh, oftentimes, if you look and examine your life, they're areas that you've tried hard to change. And maybe have been frustrated, maybe have given up, maybe have figured out, okay, you know what, I'm a, I am a human being. I'm static. I'm stuck. I can't change. There's no way possible because you've tried and you failed and you tried and you failed and eventually you stop trying. 
So let me give you three core areas that the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 of, hey, go into training. He's going to talk about uh, the way we think, the way we feel, and, and what we do. In the area uh, with, our, with our words or what we see, he's going to say, put off, put on, and then why? Notice what he says here. He says, put off. There's a stopping here. Put off, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Put off lying. Put off being deceptive or deceiving. Put off spreading rumors. Put off telling half-truths. Put off gossiping about others. Instead, put on. Stop, start, put on. And speak truthfully to your neighbor. Be honest. Put on. Be open. Put on. Be candor with kindness. Put on. You say what you mean, and you mean what you say. Isn't that from uh, Dr. Seuss, I think it is? Okay. Now, here's why. Because words are powerful, and we are all members of one body. Literally, when we lie, when we, when we deceive, we actually are not just hurting others, we're hurting ourselves, is what he's saying. Um, I think areas where we do this a lot maybe is on social media. Somehow try to present a better version of ourselves. We live a filtered life so that others think better of ourselves. I think maybe some areas that we do that is in the office where we maybe push others down to push yourself up, where you withhold, and I don't know whether maybe it's on a date or something, you withhold information, <laughs> tell a half-truth. You know what's interesting? Uh, a while back, Jenny and I were hanging out with some dear friends of ours, and in that conversation, they began to just slam another couple friend of ours and how they're raising their kids and all this sort of stuff. And you know, what's interesting is it's so easy to get caught up into that, isn't it? And go, well, yeah, or yeah, no, I haven't thought about that. Or, or just to be silent and just kind of watch and, and not address. And, and if I'm honest, I was silent and kind of caught up into that. And then, and then we got into the car and the thought Don, that many of you have thought, over and over again, when you've been around someone who just begins to talk so decide, uh, gossipy about people, I wonder what they say about us when we're not around. Huh. And for some this morning, the area where you need to go into training is with the area of your words. There's a putting off. There's a stopping. There's, a, there's some ways that you speak that are destructive and deceptive, and they not only hurt others, they are actually hurting you as well. And there's a starting where you're going to go, okay, today, I'm not going to talk behind people's back. I'm not going to push others down. I'm not going to tell half-truths. I'm going to step into that situation. I'm not going to be silent. And here's why I'm going to keep it in front, because it is so important. We belong to one another. We're part of the family of God, and what hurts them hurts me as well. Well, he says, first area, the area of our words. The second area is the area of your emotions, what you feel. He's going to say, put off, literally. He says, in your anger, do not sin. 
Uh, some of your translations, if you're following along in a, maybe the ESV and ASB, uh, it'll say, be angry. That's the literal kind of translation, be angry. It's not necessarily a command, but, but it's saying, be angry and yet do not sin. I think sometimes um, we try to squelch our feelings. And maybe in the Christian world, anger is a bad thing. There's lots of things to be angry about. Lots of injustice. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of tragedy that, that should bring about anger. Here's the call. Here's the putting off. Be angry and yet don't sin. I remember when Jenny and I were doing our kind of assessment for church planning, we were away for a full week uh, with these assessors, and there was a clinical psychologist that was uh, working with us. And I remember him saying this, uh, that we don't get to choose our feelings. You don't, you don't get to choose the feelings that you have. However, you get to choose your response to those feelings. And that's what I love here. It's like, yeah, in your anger, be angry. And yet, don't allow your anger to lead you to sin. See, when you fester in anger, it fosters bitterness. When you allow anger to fester and you just begin to brew on it and keep going, it it, it can foster resentment towards someone. When you fester on it, it, it can foster jealousy and hatred and pride. It, it can build up in so many different ways. So he says, okay, in your anger, In your anger, you're going to have things that are going to cause you to be angry. You drive to work, of course you're going to be angry, right? But in that anger, don't sin. Here's what he says. Here's the put on. And do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. With the positive that, keep a short account. Keep a short account of your anger. Don't let it go full blown. Anger, by the way, is always a secondary emotion, You always have to ask, and so when you get angry, ask the question, why am I angry to get back to the root? It is a secondary emotion. So in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Ask the question, okay, why am I angry? Let's deal with that root issue and not just the feeling itself. Keep a short account, and here's why. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, in the Greek, the word devil is literally the word diablos. Uh, You probably maybe even knew that. But what that means is simply slander. When we allow anger to take hold, take root in our life, a slander is literally this. One who suggests specific and subtle misrepresentations. One who suggests specific and subtle misrepresentations. When we allow anger to take a root in our life, it begins to color how we see all of life. It begins to color how we see and judge someone else. So now that person that you're angry with, you view them through that lens of bitterness. And instead of treating them as a human, instead of treating them as an image bearer of God, you begin to treat them with vile. It begins to color how we engage with others and the words that begin to seep out of our mouth. And he's saying, the reason why is it is so destructive. It will color how you see all of life. It will color reality from you where you can't see it any other way and people won't be able to speak into it because that's how strong anger is. Deal with it. Keep a short account. And for some... 
you're here. And your emotions lead your actions. You are led by your emotions. And so if you're happy, you treat people great. If you're unhappy, you treat people terrible. And you react high, low, high, low. You will feel the emotions that you feel, but you are responsible for your response. That's the call. Now, here's the deal. You're like, I've tried. I get it. I get it. This is a training issue. This is a process. This takes time. There's moments where you're going to slip back and you take one step at a time of, okay, I'm going to put off as I'm driving. Okay, put off. Be angry. Don't sin. Okay, so my hand is coming down. All right. All right, that's, that, may be, that may be just a good first step, okay? That's okay. Okay, I'm, you know what? I'm not going to yell out loud, okay? I'm going to start asking why am I angry and then having a conversation with God every single night before I go to bed. That would change your world, by the way, especially in this area. If you just stopped before you went to bed, even if you don't quite get to the person yet, and you just said, okay, what were the emotions that I felt? Why am I angry? And then begin to bring it to God and go, okay, God, here I am. Will you help me? Okay, first with our words, next with our emotions, and finally, he's going to say with our actions, with what we do. Put off. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. I got to admit, when I read that, I was like, I don't steal. Good. In fact, the last time I stole, I was 10 years old. Um, and I, uh, I was big into fishing at 10 years of age. And we're at a Kmart. Anybody remember those places? Yeah? Okay. Um, it's like a Target, but smaller. And, and so we're at a Kmart, and I was looking at the fishing, the tackle. And you know those boxes, that uh, the tackle boxes? And inside were... Uh, plastic dividers that were in a rubber band that you kind of put in to kind of divide up the, the interior of your tackle box. And I was just looking at it and my dad calls me and I, I just walk away and I happened to put just the little plastic dividers in my pocket as we walked out. And then I realized I reach in, I'm like, dad, oh my goodness, I stole these. I'm so sorry. And he makes me literally go walk all the way in, talk to the manager. I'm so sorry. These little plastic dividers, I stole those things. Oh, you know, I'm like, I don't steal. Don't struggle with that. It's interesting when you begin to define this as anything that would undermine your integrity. Oh, that's a little different. What are activities that you participate in that would undermine your integrity, who you are? It might be using company time for personal gain, might be in the corporate world charging more hours than you actually work. See this quite a bit that you take because you believe you're entitled to it, not because you've earned or worked for it. It says put off. Put off anything that would undermine your integrity, the core of who you are. Put on. It says must do something useful with their own hands. Be productive. Be proud of what you produce, that you can present all of what you do before others and go, that's me. I'm proud of that. And here's why. That they may have something to share with those in need. I love that. 
that would be generous, that would be giving, that my life and the product of my life would produce good for others. I, I mean, just as we kind of go through that, don't you want to be that kind of person? Don't you want to be the kind of person that, is a, of their, that they're known for being a person of the word? Thanks so much. Someone that others absolutely trust. Someone who has an emotional intelligence so they're not swayed by their emotions every single way but are able to engage intelligently with people. Someone who's a person of integrity known for generosity. The key to becoming is training. Is going, okay, I'm in. There is no one quick fix. You start saying, today, I'm in. I'm starting the training workout. I'm going to run a marathon. Today, I'm going to begin to use my words in a way that are, are productive. God, I'm going into training. So let me give you, as we close, just a couple lessons from the butterfly. <laughs> the ones that are on the floor now. Because I don't know if you realize you learned so much in kindergarten. Did you know that caterpillars, they molt, they shed their skin actually five times before they uh, turn into a chrysalis. And here's what's interesting. Old skin must be shed for new growth to occur. And for some, you're stuck because you're holding on to old patterns. You're stuck because you're holding on to old rhythms. I've had this conversation a couple different times with people this week. And so I thought I might as well share it with you. One of my adages that I talk about is every new season of life almost always requires a new rhythm for life. Many times we get in a rut is because we took an old rhythm into a new season. And it doesn't, and so you take an old rhythm of how you work with God or meet with God into a new season like marriage, into a new season with kids and a new season, and, and you get stuck in a rut because it doesn't work anymore. And for some, the question is, is there something specific you need to stop? Is there something in new skin that you need to bring on, something you need to start? The chrysalis is not a cocoon, by the way. The chrysalis on the outside, nothing appears to be happening, yet on the inside, the work of metamorphosis is taking place. And, I, and for some, I just want to encourage you. These have been sitting like this for just about a week or more, and there's been no movement, it's just stagnant. It's easy to give up, and it's almost, I've been tempted to just throw it away because <laughs> it looks like a waste. And for some, you're in a season that's dry. For some, you're in a season of silence. For some, you're in the process season. And what you need to hear is that God often does his deepest and greatest work in the silent and dry times of your life. Don't give up. Don't get out of the process. Because you're wondering, is anything happening? Is anything changing? And it's in that space where the greatest and most significant work is happening. As I brought these today, it was really fun because they're on the verge of coming out. And so they started to wiggle and they started to work and they started to struggle. And then they've stopped and then they're starting again. 
And here's something that is just, this is for a lot of you today. The struggle to emerge from the chrysalis is a necessary part of the process. Some of you want to experience transformation, but you don't want the struggle that comes with transformation. When was the last time that you, you just looking back, that you grew the most, that you changed the most? If you look back, oftentimes it was during a challenging time, during a painful time, during a struggle. Here's what's interesting is if you see these little guys struggle and you begin to help them out, it will actually kill them because the struggle is a necessary part of it where they're working and stretching and strengthening their wings and they're putting blood through all that. And if you help them in the struggle, it will not just hinder them, it will kill them. And this is perhaps a word to some parents. One of the, I think, challenges is to not deliver our kids from the necessary struggles in their lives that are going to develop them to who they are made to become. And we want to deliver them and keep them from pain. And yet so oftentimes that is part of the process that God is using in your life and the process that he's going to use in your kid's life as well. And then finally, the primary job of an adult butterfly is to reproduce See, spiritual maturity is not measured by how much you know. It's measured by how well you love. Transform people help others experience transformation. Part of being spiritually mature is saying, I have been transformed by God and growing to become more like him to help others. It's not just for your sake. And for some, you're in that spot. The growth process is to go, I am going to step out and begin to help others grow. So transformation is a matter of spiritual training and not trying harder. In your notes, you have this little, this is our transformational tool here. You just take it out. It's the, uh, it's the profile of disciple. I'm going to have the band come up. They're going to lead us. But before you do, I just want you to go, okay, what's the area where I want to go into training? Right now, as a church, we're reading through the New Testament together. It's a great start. You can just start right where we're at. We're in the book of Acts. It's so fun to read. But this summer, we're going to like talk about how to get into God's word and how to get God's word into you. We want to help train and be a part of the training process. Like if you're really struggling with your words, well, our next series, we're going to do sticks and stones and talk about your words. If you want to discover how God's made you, our summer study, we're doing four weeks on help, how to help you develop and grow to become who God made you to be. This summer, in the back of your notes, there's a whole list of what's going on. Is all developed for that. Would you take a second? Would you write down everything that you just go, here's my specific application today. Here's the things that I, I need to do. Here, here's the area I want to go into training. And then I just want to share how this works in my life. So this is my training. This is how I do training. You do it however you want, but this is how I do training. I have three by five cards. They're not actually three by five. What, what size is this? Four by six. And I just have a list right here. This is my 2016 goals. I look at this almost every morning. 
Here's my prayer list. Family, church, people I'm praying who are far from Jesus. And then I have areas that I just go, these are training areas for me. Part of my story I've shared many times was my, my addiction to pornography from high school, college. I'll tell you what, you don't get out of that by trying hard. You got to train. I still, to this day, train. There's a stopping. There's an issue of like, okay, in my house, man, my wife has all the codes, my phone, I can't get into anything. That's not weak, that's wise. And then I have this, Corinthians, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You're bought at the price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Review that. Because as a man thinks, as a woman thinks, so they become. And so that's what I want in my mind. I just, this training, this morning training, just like I exercise, I do this. I have one for the type of husband I want to be. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. I'm like, wow, that, that immediately puts me in a sacrificial frame of mode that I'm supposed to sacrifice my life. And then on the back, I have written, what's important to Jenny today? How can I be present to her in a way that reflects Jesus's love? Because I want to be a great husband. I don't think anybody wants to be a mediocre husband. So go into training as a pastor. 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Oh, training, there's our word, hello. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly, so I'm going to purpose my life. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And by the way, this is my training regimen in the morning get up, review, pray, and offer and present my body. Okay, God, here I am. And some of you want a shortcut and some diet pill to experience the transformation of God. And you just need to go, okay, God, I'm in. I'm going to go into training. It starts today. And would you make this the summer of training with us that we would become a community of passionate Jesus followers who learn to walk by faith, who are a voice of hope to the hopeless, and who are a community that are known by our love.